welcome to my kitchen. My name is Tepan Murisana. I hold a WACT Level 2 certificate, an advanced brandy certificate from the Cape Wine Academy. In 2016, I was awarded the Veritas Young Wine Writer of the Year Award. I've written for many, many publications and edited one or two in my time. I hold an interest in many topics and many things, including construction, if you can imagine. So I hope that you'll be able to pull up a seat, come into my kitchen and enjoy endless hours of not only food and wine, but many of the other delectable topics that keep us engaged. We look forward to hosting you soon. Welcome back to my kitchen. In this week's episode, I will bring the wine. And in this week's episode, I want to speak about Chenin Blanc, a grape that has grown very close to South African hearts. And thereafter, we're going to make it pop where we speak about a book or show or film, a pop of pop culture. And finally, the dish where we speak about something or someone delectable that's made our world a sweeter place. My apologies for seemingly abandoning you for the past few weeks. Um, don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> I never left you. Um, I've been busy with some personal things in my personal life, but we're finally back together and we have so much to talk about. There's so much that's happened in the world. And um, in order to do so, um, I'm pouring a glass of Chenin Blanc from Metza Family Wines in the Haldeberg or the Stellenbosch region in South Africa. So what I have with me is the Maritime. Um, and obviously I'm going to speak a little bit more about it with you. Um, I received the most amazing personal note with it. So Wade um, wrote, Dear Tapang, thank you for agreeing to take the time to taste my wines. I've given you a selection of three wines, which have arguably given me the most pleasure to make. I hope you enjoy. So as I speak to you about Chenin Blanc and about Metzer wines, um, I hope that it gives you great pleasure. So before we get into Wade and his fantastic wine, which smells amazing and tastes incredible, um, I wanted to share some insights from VinPro's 2017 State of the Industry Report, which indicates that the South African wine industry has grown more than 14% or by, or by over 50 million litres between the years of 2015 and 2017. I'm sincerely looking forward to finding out what happened in this year over 2020, what with the global pandemic has, how much of our wine turned into sanitizer? I'm curious to find out. And our total exports achieved a record of 8.9 billion rand in that year, which was the second largest of all the agricultural commodities. And the wine industry remains eminent to the agricultural economy. So what makes up these many million liters? White grapes make up 55% of South Africa's 94,000 odd hectares of vineyards. And um, the Chenin Blanc variety, South Africa's most planted grape, with an 18.5% of our total plantings. And often you get a beautiful lemon-colored wine that's made in this dry style. So one of my favorite um, Chenin Blancs is from Stellan Rust. And I'm actually holding in my hand a mask, a face mask that they sent me. And it's been my, my favorite companion over this pandemic. Everywhere I go, my chin is... <laughs> Um, embroidered with the words Stellan Rust. So Stellan Rust winemaker Tertius Boschoff describes how difficult it is to define Chenin Blanc and his barrel fermented Chenin Blanc exhibits the creaminess of oak and pineapple, white flower aromas, while Spear 21 Gables, for example, exhibits a more apple flavor. 
Um, so Chenin Blanc is obviously growing in popularity in South Africa, but in comparison, Sauvignon Blanc and Chenin Blanc and Chardonnay are also very popular. Sauvignon Blanc makes up 9.3% of total plantings, and that was obviously in around 2017, while Chardonnay made up about 8.2%. And often Sauvignon Blanc gives us green flavors. Remember, we had a fantastic conversation, you and I, about Sauvignon Blanc. We spoke about the grass, the green pepper, um and the Chardonnay being citrus driven. And I've had so many people tell me, well, I'm gonna sip this wine so I can spill some tea. So many people have told me that they often got Gateshain and Blanc and Chardonnay confused. Because even this fantastic maritime um, Chardonnay from Metza that I'm having, it, it exhibits a lot of Chardonnay character. And I don't know if it's because it's wooded but it is very deceptive, this hard-working grape. And Chenin Blanc has been called one of the most hard-working grapes in South Africa and in the world. South Africa, it's one of the vital components of brandy. And one day soon, I hope we're going to have a brandy episode. Um, however, while white wine is very, very popular in terms of red wine, South Africa's homegrown grape is Pinotage. And we spoke about Pinotage in a previous episode. What haven't we spoken about? We speak a lot, you and I, which contributes 6% to total plantings. And that was again in 2017. It might have grown, might have decreased. We'll, we'll figure those things out later. And Pinotage is a, a cross between Pinot Noir and Sinzo. And in its base form, you can smell the strawberries and red fruits that it, it derives from its parent grapes. So I'm going to um, have to keep kicking myself because I had a conversation with Carl Lambeau, um, who's now at Takara, and he's one of South Africa's most respected wine industry professionals. And he was reminding me that I need to use the word variety instead of varietal because Andrea Malini is very focused on that. So while we speak about the Chenin Blanc variety, I just want to put into context how it relates to the other grapes in South Africa. And... Um, for me, what's very fascinating is to figure out, you know, if you're putting a puzzle together where the pieces all fall. So if you want to experience fantastic Pinot Noir, then you should visit Hermanus and try the Burgundian-style Pinot Noir, Bouchard, Finlayson and Hamilton Russell. And for amazing Senzo, you need that Swatland heat. So you can try Malinot Senzo or David and Nadia Senzo. And while we're speaking about the Malinus, um, they had a fantastic Chenin um, that was a natural sweet wine made in the Solera style. Uh, I will speak about sweet wine in another episode. So I'm saving many nuggets for you. I'm thinking of you constantly and all the things we're going to speak about. <laughs> but uh, the Olerese, uh, which is a plain on the word Solera, um, fantastic sweet wine, 100% pointer. But, you know, they make more. They make great Syrah as well. So, of course, you know, if we're speaking about Syrah and red wine, we're going to have to focus on Cabernet. And Cabernet remains king with its 12.3% of total plantings. And truly amazing Cabernet Sauvignon gives off rich tobacco flavors, which are perfect for these amazing summer nights and the beautiful rain that we're experiencing in Johannesburg if you're listening to the storm <laughs> that's speaking with me. We're having a conversation with the storm tonight and merlot which is another variety is not just for your mom six percent of our vineyards house merlot and that was again in 2017 which is often less tannic and that means that it gives you less that mouth pull in cabernet sauvignon it's softer and rounder and you might get plum and red fruit character from merlot i always like to tell people that merlot is like a great book club wine um we had fantastic times at the hartenberg merlot 
and Shiraz or Syrah that we were just speaking about is that spicy cousin that everyone loves. I love a spicy cousin. I have one or two. Uh, at that point, Syrah made up 9.9% of our total vineyards. Um, and, you know, Syrah is often a full body, dark wine. There's pepper that we pick up, a lot of dark fruit flavor. And so South Africans are obviously also huge fans of sparkling wine. Uh, we enjoy champagne. We spoke about champagne. We enjoy MCC. We spoke about MCC. Um, and MCC obviously is comprised of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but increasingly also of Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc, this hardworking grape that this seems to do so much. So before I indulge you in Metza, which I know you are so looking forward to hearing about, um, Tosh has also put me onto the hashtag Drink Chenin campaign which we celebrated on the 20th of June this year. Two of his wines were actually awarded um, this year uh, in, the in the top 10 challenge, the Chenin Blanc top 10 challenge. So the spread of vineyards that contribute to this year's lineup of the Standard Bank top 10 Chenin challenge winners shows just how adaptable the grape is according to them. So according to Ken Forrester, from Stellenbosch to Vista, the Breda Clough and the cooler climate Durbanville area, these wines really do demonstrate Shannon's ability to successfully put down roots in a variety of growing conditions. With the mounting impact of climate change worldwide, it is not surprising that many growers in the Americas and Australasia are looking forward to it as the grape of their future as well. So Shannon is somewhat like me, adaptable, yeah? <laughs> so I actually have, um, while I'm speaking about Tertius, um, I have his mask with me. Um, and if you want to know what the top 10 were listed alphabetically, the winners actually um, came from, as Ken Forrest was saying, many, many places, but also many, many price brackets. And we know that we're in a very price sensitive year. I don't want to tell you guys my problems, but I, I know that we're all together in this, that there are many industries that have been hard hit. So the winners came from, um, they range from wines that cost from 68 rand all the way to 430 rand. So there's really something for everybody in the Shannon category. So um, I don't know if you want me to do a drum roll like I did the last time with the Sauvignon Blanc, but the top 10 this year consists, comprised of Alfie's Drift Private Cellar 221 Shannon Blanc 2019, Alfie's Drift Private Cellar Albertus Phil Yoon Shannon Blanc 2019, the Budsberg Wine Cellar Barrel Fermented Shannon Blanc 2019, De Morganzon Reserve Chenin Blanc 2019. We love De Morganzon and Stellenbosch. I can't wait to go back. Uh, Durbanville Hills Collectors Reserve, the Cape Garden Chenin Blanc 2019, the Klipruch Chenin Blanc 2019, Mulderbosch Vineyard Single Vineyard Chenin Blanc Block S2 2018, Spear Wines 21 Gables Chenin Blanc 2019, and the famous Stellenrust Wines. First of all, first of all, Tertius Bashoff, you, you know, he's a dentist. So he had said to me, as a former dentist, he was a trained dentist. He's always worried about telling people to drink sweet things. So he's made, well, many things in his career that are fantastic. But the, the two wines that are in the top 10, the first one for me was incredibly surprising. So it was the Stellenbrush Chenin Blanc 2019. And again, very light on the pocket and amazing on the palate. Um, we actually had this by accident one Sunday afternoon. So it was just after drink and day on June 20 that weekend. And, um, you know, my family had sat down to lunch and I had actually put the Shannon in the fridge sort of 
with the idea that I wanted to re-experience it. But we ended up just falling in love with it. And I love bottles of wine like that, that they, they be, you know, the, the conversation flows around them. I love that. It was delicious. And then the other one, obviously, is the Stellenbosch, Stellenbosch Manor Barrel Fermented Chenin Blanc 2019. And that wine, as we know, is um, highly celebrated. Um, it's Everybody loves that wine. And it's from um, vines that are up to... 42 years old and it cost 150 rand. So again, that Stellen Rist Chenin Blanc 2019 is 68 rand. Insane value for money. Um, for under 70 rand, you and your family can have a fabulous Sunday lunch. I promise you, I'm, it's not an advert, but it was lovely. And so on to the Chenin, another Chenin that was actually in that list. Um, I received a lovely gift and a very heavy bottle. I don't know if you can hear that I'm throwing around this bottle of wine. I don't know what I'm trusting and that it won't fall down on me. But anyway, also a screw cap. Um, and it's just the most beautiful bottle uh, from Durbanville Hills. So it's the Collector's Reserve, the Cape Garden Chenin Blanc 2019. It's made by Martin Moore and um, an artist, Theo Paul Foster, designed the label. And it's inspired by Cape Town. On the side of this bottle is obviously the huge, fabulous sticker that they thoroughly deserve for being one of the top 10 challenge winners. But there's a very beautiful um, image that is depicted of the company gardens in Cape Town. There are even the squirrels that run everywhere around you. Theo Paul Foster, um, designed this and the other label that I had on Sunday <laughs> with my grand, the Pinotage, which was just lovely. And that one obviously had the penguins in Simonstown. So it's really lovely. You're sitting in Johannesburg on a night or a day like this and thinking of a place so far away. And the idea is you can, apparently you can see the company gardens from the Debentonville Hill cellar and, uh, or, you know, from the winery. And I just think that's so lovely that it just makes you think of Cape Town and seeing it here in Johannesburg and wherever you are in the world, um, you'll be able to look at this label and just imagine the splendor of Cape Town. So a little bit more about the company's garden, which is on the label. The company's garden in Cape Town dates back to when fresh produce and supplies were first provided to ships surrounding the Cape. Although originally a vegetable garden, it was not long before the first Chenin Blanc vineyards were planted and today the gardens are recognised for their contribution to the Cape's horticultural heritage. Devonville Hill says that their Chenin Blanc is a true tribute to these gardens and the origins of Chenin Blanc in the Cape of Good Hope. So this wine of origin, Devonville, Cape Town, at an alcohol percentage of 13% is something that you can truly enjoy and stare at the label of if you're not quite ready to drink yet i did start tucking into the chocolate for research purposes they sent an accompanying chocolate so i did a little home chocolate and wine pairing it is a durbanville hills orange blossom with orange white orange and vanilla um it's a white chocolate um that pairs with the shannon and it's really delicious my gran and i did the dark chocolate with the pinotage on sunday um, I left her with it, but, uh, you know, the three of us just felt like it was such a thrill to be, you know, in these pandemic times, um, up in Joburg together and enjoying these pleasures from Cape Town. So, um, Durbanville Hills wants you to know that a unique set of features characterize the Durbanville Hills extraordinary location. The great many aspects offered by its hills, its proximity to the cooling Atlantic, the cleansing Cape winds and its terroir like no other allow for the production of world-class wines. 
So then how does one pair such distinctive wines with chocolate? Durbanville Hills turned to artisan chocolatiers who have created a unique chocolate to match each different wine. They work with the flavours and notes that complement, contrast and enhance the chosen wine partner. Like most perfect matches, these pairings involve a little science, a little chemistry and a dash of magic. It is just the most delicious chocolate. It is dreamy. It lifts the fresh orange blossom and hints of floral notes and the special collectors deserve Chien and Blanc. And the creaminess in this coverture echoes the subtle vanilla in the wine, leaving a beautiful, balanced finish. Cheers to Durbanville Hills. Chocolates and diamonds are a girl's best friend. I really enjoyed it. So it's hashtag inspired by Cape Town. And even if you're wherever you are, it will surely inspire you to one day come and visit us. And please stop by Joburg on the way and say hi. So back to the business at hand. Uh, besides the lovely handwritten note that Wade had sent me, I do want to say Tertius also sent me a very nice handwritten note with the Stellan wrist and the face mask. Um, but back to the Metza wines, which I just experienced with my mom the other night. So um, I made homemade burgers with a little bit of caramelized onion. Uh, I had goat cheese. What else? There was avocado. Just in paninis and it was just a relaxed and lovely evening between the two of us at home and it was also a little bit of a shock because obviously I know that Wade is very celebrated and he's very awarded but it's it, it's my first um, experience of him so the label is from certified heritage vineyards the maritime from weathered granite soils um, the vines were planted in 1981 so it's, it's older than me haha <laughs> something at least that's older than me so I'm enjoying the 2018 my mom loved the bottle because it was nice and heavy and I do also want to say that I'm not too sure if it's the natural wine or what it is but there is something very uh international about this you can it does give you that like Loire Valley character so I also love that on the barcode um is a map of the Halderberg so when I'm busy reading, as I am to you now, um, as I will shortly, the notes from Wade, besides the handwritten note, he also sent me a very good bundle, which I appreciate with all the fact sheets. So you've got this beautiful mountain and it's also on the barcode. I'll put it on Instagram and Twitter. If you're following at In My Kitchen Pod, you'll definitely see it. Um, so he wants us to know about the power of provenance. Before I tell you about the wine, I do want to tell you about the Helderberg Ward of Stellenbosch, which is situated just five kilometers from the shores of False Bay. And the ward takes its name from the imposing Helderberg Mountain, which is the Afrikaans word for clear mountain, and culminates at a height of 1,137 meters. So it's not only older than me, it's also taller than me. <laughs> I'm feeling very small right now. And the area is unique in that it benefits from both maritime and montane influences. The cool southeasterly wind blowing in directly from False Bay serves to reduce the daytime temperature significantly during the growing season. What else do we know? We know that this is a key to our characteristic, differentiating the Halderberg from those areas situated over the hills further inland, which have less direct exposure to the ocean. And the wines produced here are heavily influenced by cool sea breezes and ideal soil conditions. This allows for longer ripening periods, lower yields, and all the associated benefits of the production of fine wines. It really is a fine wine, and it really does deserve this beautiful heavy bottle and beautiful cork. Wade says that their mission is to produce wines that are expressive and individual, employing artisanal, non-interventionalist principles in their vinification periods. Right, I'm going to tell you about this non 
intervention thing in just a second because you know I want to keep it real with you. I want to keep it straight. I want to keep it 100. So the guiding principle driving this process is that the winemaking must always respect the fruit and all seller inputs serve the purpose of capturing the personality of the fruit rather than imposing the winemaker's vision for what the wine is supposed to taste like. So friends, if you know that I have a huge sinus issue, <laughs> the I will tell you about the nose on this wine just now, but it has an incredible effect on my nose because of the natural wine influence. So um, if, I, if I'm sniffly, please forgive me, but my sinuses are going hay fever, haywire, hay fever, haywire. So the vineyards at Metza, um, Shannon Blanc, the maritime vineyard, which we're experiencing now, the wine from that maritime vineyard, was planted in 1981 on an extremely sandy, oxidized granite-derived soil with a yield of five tons per hectare. Um, it's a bush wine, bush vine. Uh, and it's situated a mere four kilometers from the shores of False Bay. I can't wait to go. It sounds amazing and it looks beautiful. The pictures that I, I have, there's a tractor just in front of the vineyard. It just looks like, um, and there's a, a Boerland 2012 stamp on the side. It just looks just so picturesque. And then from the Montagne Vineyard, which was planted in 1964 and predominantly decomposed granite with a quartz fraction, it produces a yield of three tons per hectare. It's a bush vine as well. And it's situated on the foothills of the Halderberg Mountain. And of the Shiraz from the Piedmont Vineyard, um, the Shiraz was planted in 1998 on a unique mix of table mountain sandstone, granite, and coffee clip soils. Coffee clip is coffee stone, translation. The yield is six tons per hectare. It's on a three-wire trellis. It's situated on the foothills of the Halderberg West Peak. And then the Sinzo. Sinzo, a very popular grape, as I had said to you in our introduction, um, which is from Block Q. It was planted on 1964 in extremely weathered granite-derived soil at a yield of two tons per hectare, very low vigor with vines resembling bonsais. Bush vine, also situated less than five kilometers. So the maritime. So my thoughts before weights. Um, I'm doing a sip and swirl. Sorry to my sinuses. <laughs> So first of all, what a sensation. Um, I, I got a little bit of a citrus character. Um, it's a very dry wine. Um, and it's also a very, it's got a beautiful stone fruit quality as well. Um, so it's a bit like having um, a little bit of apricot on your nose. Just that like apricot blossom actually more than apricot like just this beautiful white peach smell as well and just a little bit of acid um and it's really really lovely i love the acid i love the balance on this wine to me um it sort of feels like the kind of wine that you want to celebrate a special occasion with but like i said the other night it was me and my mom and i um here just in the house together and it turned it elevated that it just felt like it's a very special moment happening so this wine is made up of 100 percent chenin blanc the 2018 is a single vineyard wine from bush vine parcel planted in the 1980s and the vineyard is situated a mere four kilometers as i said from false bay so the wine is actually just so complex to me like i said with my mom the other day that we had that it actually just felt like a conversation it felt like a conversation it just felt like it just kept going like it, it and that's how it feels now it feels like it keeps giving like I'm getting some orange blossom now I got that white flower earlier like it it's it's so rhythmical and lovely 
So, um, so it was aged naturally, as naturally as possible, without intervention. So he, he, if this is all true, which I believe that it is, <laughs> I think that he did a wonderful job of encapsulating what Shannon Blanc could be. You know, because if we're speaking about this grape and its potential in South Africa, besides being made for brandy, which is fantastic, I think that Shannon can be a, a special occasion wine. It can be a Sunday afternoon wine. It can be a Monday night at dinner wine. Because again, as Ken Forrester had said, that it's it's a wine with um, a wine for all seasons. It's really lovely. And so the wine was aged on the lease in barrel for nine months with no batonage, and the wine is bottled after coarse filtration in November 2018. So it's had, I think, two years, a full two years, because now we're in November 2020. It's had two years of maturation in bottle. Um, I'm going to have another sip, it's really nice. So um, my tasting notes are pretty similar to Wade's. So I'm not going to share those with you. But uh, again, he was, you know, it's all the things that I said. And so he had said that it has the optimum drinking of between 2020 and 2020. 25. I do think that white wines in South Africa show fantastic potential, so I look forward to tasting this wine one day. And it did receive 95 points from Tim Atkin, um, British wine master. Alongside this, there's also the Montan Chenin Blanc, which is also 100% Chenin Blanc, planted in 1964. So this wine... Um, was aged on the lease in barrel for nine months with no batonage and also bottled in 2018. So this particular Montan, if you're wondering about the difference, the site specificness and why I think it's so interesting that you've got the maritime influence potentially on the maritime that I'm tasting, the Montan offers an understated bouquet that unfolds delicately in the glass with hints of apple, hay and ginger spice. Ooh, ginger spice, mm -hmm, yummy. The palate is well-balanced but offers more of a textual experience than overt flavours. It has a vibrant mineral core with a touch of citrus on the, the, on the finish, leaving a slight tannic grip after the wine has departed. The ageing potential, he also suggests, up to 2028, so slightly longer for this wine. And it received 96 points from Wine Magazine and 5 stars in platinum. It's good for them. <laughs> and so, um, if you're wondering about the pH balance, it's not too different. So the Maritimes are 3.43 and the pH of the Montan is 3.46. So I'm going to say that, um, ah, this is very interesting. So the sulfites are slightly higher um, on the Montan and the residual sugar is slightly lower. But Sam, what a way, what a way to reintroduce myself to Chenin Blanc. I haven't had a really good Chenin Blanc like that in a hot minute. And now I'm curious about the Cabernet Sauvignon from Mesa family. Um, so this is comprised of 87% Cabernet Sauvignon, 10% Shiraz, 2% Cinto, and the Cabernet components hail from two unique vineyard parcels situated in the stain wrist area of the Halderberg. The blocks are planted on heavily weathered granitic soils and overlook the shores of False Bay. Um, so if you're wondering why I'm off-ramping, I just thought it's so interesting to see the diverse potential of what this place can do and what this winemaker can do because I, as I said to you he had told me about four vineyards um, and I love the idea of a cab that can do so much um, and this cab received 93, 93 points from Tim Atkin so he says that um, this wine um, was raised for 15 months in French oak barrels 
um, including 30% new wood. And the wine was bottled unfined and unfiltered in May 2019. And that's on granite and sandstone soil. So I'm so looking forward to tasting that with you soon. And it has an aging potential, as you said, of up to 2028. 20, so that Metzer family, what a fantastic family. You do so much. You've got great uh, Shannon, beautiful mountains, beautiful cab. And I think that it just says so much about Shannon and its potential. But what do I know when you've got rock stars like Ken Forrester? So Ken Forrester says, you know what they say, South African Shannons are a lot like South Africans themselves. Vibrant, resilient, and readily responsive to changing circumstances. Both the vines and the people put down deep and tenacious roots. It's how we overcome adversity and even flourish under stress. Thank you for listening. When we come back, Make it pop. And My Kitchen is brought to you by My Kitchen Company SA. My Kitchen Company is a Johannesburg-based kitchen, bathroom, furniture, and renovation business. They bring you everything in the kitchen sink. Visit them on Twitter at My Kitchen Co. SA for more information. Welcome back to My Kitchen. So in this week's episode of Make It Pop, I want to speak about um, a book or show or film that is definitely dominated our lives um so i've been watching season four of the crown i actually watched it in a breath but i only want to speak about the first five episodes so pull up a seat pour your glass of wine and just as we do in my kitchen over a meal or over a glass of wine we're going to speak about a book or show or film and um i found it very interesting while i pour Again, the Metsa Maritime Chenin Blanc 2018. That Chenin Blanc is the 27th most planted variety in the world, according to the AAWE in hectares. So um, according to a 2020 study, there was a database of the regional, national and global wine grape bearing areas by variety from 1960 to 2016. And 32,221 hectares of Chenin Blanc were planted. So cheers to South Africa. We're playing our part. <laughs> Speaking of worldwide, have you been watching The Crown? Because, darling, I have. I have. And before we go far, that actress, Emma Corrin, is Princess Diana. And I know that a lot of people are really caught up in the Diana and Charles of the current season because how can you not? How can you not? But I actually found that when I watched the full 10 episodes and even the very first episode the very first introduction to the current season to me the season is a parallel of it's a season of the margarets so you've got margaret thatcher the great british prime minister on one hand and then you've got princess margaret on the other hand so you know the introduction to gillian anderson who gillian anderson is princess margaret um she did such a fantastic job, your royal highness. I loved it. So the introduction, as the narrator says, as she comes in um, to her audience of the Queen, what we're seeing now is history in the making, Britain's first female prime minister. So to me, you've got a parallel between the establishment. Um, it's the parallel between culture, tradition, the proximity to power and what our perception of what grandiose lifestyles mean and how we view the passage of time. And obviously I'm referring to the Balmoral episode where I think uh, Margaret Thatcher had it in her mind that 
life is grand for the royals in Scotland and they wear uh, ball gowns. I mean, I'm not too sure if this is literally what happened. Obviously, this is the creator's idea of what happened. But it, to me, it's also our perception of what monarchy means, that they're always wearing ball gowns, they're always at tea, they're always drinking champagne, they're always drinking gin, <laughs> like Princess Margaret. They don't have to get up for work. They don't have responsibilities. Their lives are lovely and you wear, um, at six o'clock, you better be in a ball gown, otherwise you're not ready for dinner. Um, and then you have real life where they hang out with their kids and they play games and they watch TV as the season <laughs> three showed us. Um, yeah, it's pretty interesting to me. So I loved, obviously, the parts about Princess Diana you know, um, and just like everybody else in Prince Charles, it felt like I was reading a newspaper um, while I was having a conversation with my gran, who's a great royalist. So um, it's pretty interesting to me as well, uh, the, the feature of Camilla. And I also found it fascinating, as I said, the parallel between Margaret's because there's also the, the episode where Queen Elizabeth says to her sister that she's going to have to relinquish her role as the Council of State and Princess Margaret says don't take that away from me it's all I've got and it's interesting because then you look at her life with this life at Kensington Palace and these Louboutin shoes and first class planes and as I said waking up at one in the afternoon <laughs> and you think what do you mean that's all you've got you've got all this all these beautiful but obviously I think the sense of purpose and the sense of duty is, is what they're alluding to. And I think that when you look at Margaret Thatcher and her sense of purpose and her sense of duty, it's an interesting parallel. So episode one, um, you have all the more reason. They start out and, they, and they're looking for a new girlfriend for Prince Charles. And he's been um, cavorting with Camilla and not as we witnessed in season three not quite settling down to marriage and to securing the the crown and the line the family says it's all the more reason to share for sarah and sarah is obviously sarah spencer who's diana's older sister and so um i also thought that was quite interesting that they had almost like counted on charles to be the line considering how elizabeth is I mean, she's not King Edward's daughter. So it's interesting that they, they were very sure. And, and the line that I found fascinating was Princess Margaret or Margaret Thatcher when she said, we never count our chickens before they hatch. And we don't count number 10 Downing Street before it's thatched. So it just made me think about all the ways that we, we think we know where things are going. And then life comes at you fast. And then in episode two, that's when Margaret Thatcher was at Balmoral and um, so she says unpacking your bag what is she thinking it's a woman's job to her husband I'm not too sure again if this happened but you've got Margaret Thatcher and all sorts of extremely feminine roles throughout the season um, you know from unpacking her husband's bag as opposed to having um, somebody on the family staff do it or making dinner for um, her cabinet it's very interesting because I guess at that time the role was again, she was the first female prime minister. So do you lose all of those essences of what people think that women do? Hmm. Stay tuned to episode 10 and find out if you haven't quite seen it. So then at the same time, <laughs> my 
nice and says be nice and she says I don't have time to be nice and I thought that that was quite interesting as well because then you've got this prime minister who's obviously quite a busy job I mean yeah she's a busy woman she has to run off to Scotland um, but she doesn't have time to be nice (laughs) so towards the end of the episode the prime minister's audience with the queen where she speaks about the cabinet reshuffle and then you see Queen Elizabeth also um, assert her um, her understanding of governance and leadership and it's very interesting to notice the parallel between the two women in that role and Queen Elizabeth says it's always a mistake uh, to assume I think that because people are privileged they lack grit and it's a dangerous game I think to make enemies left right and center and then Prime Minister Margaret says not if one is comfortable having enemies and Queen Elizabeth says are you and then she quotes from a poem Margaret Thatcher and she says You've been a coward in the fight. And so I think that she draws a line. She draws a hard line on one hand, and then the other hand, it's quite a soft line. And I love the parallel, actually. I really do think that Gillian Anderson, even if she wasn't playing Margaret Thatcher, she did a very good job, I think, of explaining, and also the creators and the writers, they did an amazing job of explaining the parallels between women in power. On on the one hand, people want you to be soft and delicate and a flower who unpacks your hands his bag and makes dinner for everybody on the other hand you have to make hard decisions which maybe make you a little bit unpopular it's quite hectic and maybe her decisions are not right that's not my part to say but I, I did think that it was interesting that they did that and again as I'm saying with the parallels towards the end of the episode you have the stag that Diana sh- shot uh, will help Prince Philip shoot being mounted um, and that's her triumph at Balmoral. So where Margaret was this dismal failure at Balmoral, Diana was a triumph. And then it has the two stags facing each other, which represents something in contention. So it's almost like in Africa where you have two balls in a, in a crawl. It's, it's like there's a new entry, and we don't know whether that new entry is going to fit in or create a little bit of tension. As Bonang says, fit in or fuck off. You know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. But it's interesting to me. And I love that. I love that at all times you have to ask yourself as much as you can Google the facts and what factually happened and you can read all these articles as I did on the timelines and how much of what happened in the, in the crown is potentially true. You also have all these things that you must ask yourself, um, and which I did, obviously. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you about. And then episode three, um, Queen Elizabeth um, is speaking to Prince Charles after his um, proposal to Diana and she's telling Anne and her mother that Charles finally proposed and she says it's a marriage dear it's a proposal of marriage dear it's not a show of strength and then it's interesting to notice how everything I guess as I said is a show of strength who can shoot the stag who can be the tough prime minister and so you have all these alpha women everywhere I guess um, so that's what the queen asked when Charles says that he didn't get down on one need to propose and one thing I really loved about the season is the music so Princess Diana drives back giddy young thing under the age of 20 it's unbelievable so she's driving back and they're playing upside down by the queen of disco Diana Ross queens everywhere royalty everywhere all over this episode and Diana comes back from a princess proposal to giggles and squeals and a night spent dancing with her friends and her sister and then she picks a ring like chocolates from a box as I tasted a delicious chocolate earlier in this episode. And Charles at the engagement episode, um, when they make the announcement, he says whatever love means. And then you see a new side of Diana where she goes from this giddy, happy teen to this lonely 
withering, wilting flower. And the loneliness seeps in and they do, I think, an interesting job of introducing the, the bulimia into the season. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting. And so, you know, she has more fan mail and flowers and very few opportunities to be with her real friends as her life had been at Earl's Court, as Margaret <laughs> lets us know. So the princess lessons with her great aunt or her grandmother are not as glamorous as the princess lessons in the princess diaries. She's not quite the princess of Genovia. She's the princess of Wales, darling. And so she says on the phone, I get messages from people all over the world, but nothing, not a squeak from the man I'm supposed to marry. And then I find it very interesting that Camilla claps once, takes her out for lunch. Ha! No, no, uh, let me drink that. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's been interesting. So she takes her to a place where the concept is no main quarters, just starters and desserts. And so Camilla in one corner, Camilla, I'm all for sharing pocket bowls versus Diana, I'll go with the flow Spencer. Hey, it's a lot. It's a lot. So I just keep thinking about how unfortunate, how very fortunate Charles and Camilla all. Their royal highnesses are that the current season of the crown is released during our current circumstances because they're not making appearances and shaking hands amidst what would be snide comments that would have greeted them at right royal engagements. It's very interesting what's happening. I think that, you know, everybody always says that Camilla, oh, I mean, Diana is like your mom's best friend. She's like your mate. And when I watched the season, I actually felt like she's a, a, a girl I know. She felt like a girl that I've been part, I've seen at the parties, a girl. That I'm like, oh, my friend just got engaged and I want to be excited for her. And this, this blatant situation happening right in front of our salad. Huh, very interesting. And so for me, this current season of The Crown, season four, if you watch it, there's so many parallels, you know, between the old and the new. The new stag, the old stag, the Margaret of tradition and culture, and then who wants to gets called ma'am and Diana needs to curtsy to everybody in the correct order. And then you've got Margaret Thatcher who's trying to bring in a new government to clean everything from top to bottom. Ha! Huh. It's a very interesting season. It's a very interesting season. And yeah, I mean, there's lots to talk about if you want to. We can. Because one thing that I did find very interesting is when Margaret speaks about her son, Mark, again, you know, you've got the soft mother where she speaks about um, her son, Mark. So there's an, the, at the beginning of the episode, I think it's episode three, there's a transition where Mark is off to the Paris-Dakar rally and then they do um, it's the most gorgeous cinematography. It made me miss London so much, you know, this season as well because you've got all these buildings that we love. So Mark Thatcher's riding off to the dark rally and then Margaret rides in to Buckingham Palace. And so she's in tears. As I said, you know, she's, she's always like wilting and crying in so many episodes and then she's hard in so many others. It's, it's interesting, the contradictions. And uh, Gillian Anderson is going to give the girls a run for their money come awards season. She has to. So she says, it's my son Mark. My favorite has gone missing. He's been competing in the Paris Dakar rally. And then you've got all these instances of these privileged young men. You've got Prince Edward and how he had to pay the price for privilege. Where he says to his mother, where his mother's trying to figure out who her favorite child is after 
Margaret so clearly states her favourite. He says there has to be some upside to being who we are and some return for what we do for the country. And because we know that he had to give up his production company. Um, and it's very interesting that young Harry and Meghan are starting their production company. Hmm, curious. <laughs> and then you've got, as I said, old and new. You've got the old established princess, the princess royal, Princess Anne, who we love, we adore, love her style, love her wit, love her sass. And then you've got the new princess, Diana, who's glittery and sparkly and gleamy. And um, while her mom is trying to figure out if Anne is her favorite, they're having a picnic. Um, and, and Princess Anne says to Queen Elizabeth, yet all she has to do is put on a frock and she's all over the front pages and everyone's falling in shock over how wonderful she is. Obviously speaking about Diana, and she's the only other young female in the family against to whom I'm always compared. Lovely her, dumpling me, smiling her, grumpy me, charming her, or for me. And the constant questions about my marriage, all the time. And then it's very interesting because her mom is obviously asking about her marriage. And then Queen Elizabeth says, well, these things usually pass if you have the patience to wait. And our queen has been patient because they've recently celebrated another wedding anniversary home, Prince Philip. Cheers to them. Congratulations. Marriage is hard. And I think that royal marriage in this fishbowl that we're obviously all staring into even now all these years later. It's amazing that they've made it last. I wish I wish I knew the secret to make it last. It's amazing. And then again, you know, you've got these interesting parallels and passages of time where Queen Elizabeth is at lunch with Prince Andrew and she says it doesn't really sound right. She says the young racy American actress, not sure which one of those makes my heart sink more. And then obviously we know that his current situation with Jeffrey Epstein hasn't really left public consciousness. The royal family has been very good, I think, at uh, protecting him from public scrutiny. Um, but the, the crowd didn't shirk from it. I love the show. They're not shy. Because he's very privileged, again, like Mark Thatcher. You know, he arrives at lunch with his mother in a military helicopter. It's very interesting. It's very interesting how they show us privilege and then on the other hand how you get used to privilege you know things like in the previous season princess margaret being able to just go to mystique for a couple of days and then again what what our perception of what money and glamour is and what it truly is fascinating and then you've got again an, a later episode where diana becomes the people's princess and then she heads to the lower east side of new york and she hugs um a young man who's been diagnosed with HIV and then you think about the public perception at that time of what HIV was and how she did bring sort of a breath of fresh air into the royal family and yeah it's an amazing season I look forward to sharing the rest of it with you soon um, but it does lead me sadly into this week's episode of The Dish and so in The Dish, I do like to speak about something or someone delectable who's made the world a sweeter place. And I have three dishes this week. Um, as I said, it's been a while since you and I came together and there's so much, so very much <laughs> to speak about. And I read an amazing op-ed by Megan, the Duchess of Sussex. So she wrote an article titled The Losses We Share, where she suggests in the New York Times that Perhaps the path to healing begins with three simple words. Are you okay? And it's incredibly sad where she begins with a miscarriage that she and her husband experienced. 
um, obviously a very personal and private struggle. But in her moment of empathy, she speaks about several things that are happening in the world and obviously our current situation. And now in this time of social distancing, we have to question whether or not we do stop and ask, are you okay? As she was by a journalist during her visit to South Africa in that documentary that we all watched. And again, The Crown is not a documentary. <laughs> it's a TV show and an artist's depiction of loose historical facts. But this is a real life and a real woman. And we have to remember that these are real people. And again, I take my hat off to the Queen and um, the Duke for being married for so long. Because in real life, things like this happen in marriages. And, and it's incredible that she was so sensitive to share this um, and so brave with the world. And in her article, she writes on we aren't just fighting over our opinions of facts. We are polarized over whether the fact is in fact a fact. We are at odds over whether science is real. We're at odds over whether an election has been won or lost. We're at odds over the value of compromise. That polarization coupled with the social isolation required to fight this pandemic have left us feeling more alone than ever. And so she writes so sensitively about so many things, about a trip to New York that she braved. But I think the thing that so many people picked up on with the amount of infant loss that happens in the loss of pregnancy and as Chrissy Teigen and John Legend was also so brave to share, how devastating it can be to anticipate a child, look forward to it, love it and lose it. And so she writes, losing a child means carrying an almost unbearable grief experienced by many but talked about by few. In the pain of our loss, my husband and I discovered that in a room of 100 women, 10 to 20 of them will have suffered from miscarriage. Yet despite the staggering commonality of this pain, the conversation remains taboo, riddled with unwarranted shame and perpetuating a cycle of solitary mourning. Some have bravely shared their stories. They've opened the door, knowing that when one person speaks truth, it gives license for all of us to do the same. We have learned that when people ask how any of us are doing, when they really listen to the answer with an open heart and mind, the load of grief often becomes lighter for all of us. In being invited to share our pain, together we can take the first step towards healing. And so I do want to ask you, are you okay? It's so amazing and so kind of her to have written this article or this opinion piece. Um, and in a time, I think, when so many of us are so distant, it's incredible the ways that we've been able to connect. And I thank you again for listening to this podcast. Um, it's for taking the time. I think it's incredibly kind and generous of you. And that's what I love about the dish. It's, we speak about people that are kind and generous. I think in a time when, yes, the world is heavy. But another person that's been consistently generous over her lifetime is Dolly Parton. So Dolly Parton helped to fund the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. And it's incredible. It's heartwarming. It gives me joy um, that she contributed funds towards fighting a global fight. And it's just another way that our another queen, a queen of country, <laughs> Dolly Parton, has made the world so much better. 
So on a media appearance, she was beaming with pride and excitement at the news in an article on CNN, and she says, she told um, the Today host, Hoda Kotb and uh, Jenna Boshega, I'm just very grateful that this is happening, and if I had anything to do with it, that's great. It's amazing, and I love that for her. I love that about her. I love that she didn't just write amazing songs, um, and that if you ever listen, my one of my favorite podcasts is um, Dolly Parton's America. She brought so much joy to the prisoners at Robben Island. Apparently, um, Mandela used to listen to Dolly Parton music um, on the island. Um, and one thing about Dolly Parton is she seems to always be on the right side of history, and I and I love that for her and about her. So the third recipient of my medal <laughs> on the dish this week is Devetsov. So they've sent me a beautiful bottle of rosé. It's just the most beautiful colour. It looks like a Provencal rosé and it's got a wax closure. So if, if you're one of those people like Luke <laughs> on Twitter, doesn't love a wax closure. It's a little bit extra work, but it's just so beautiful. It's lovely like rose gold colour. So this is the Lilia dry rosé, which is grown and made unbottled on the Devetsov farm in Robertson, one of my favorite places as we know. So this dry rosé was crafted from the finest Devetsov noble vines and Lilia celebrates a commitment to excellence, a love of fine wine and family and beyond just being a lovely wine it also is doing some good in the world. So Devetsov commissioned the innovation for the blind to craft a special woven wine holder as a gift and it is situated in the care capital town of South Africa, Vista. Innovation for the Blind is a non-profit organization that has been catering to the all-inclusive, specialized needs of all persons with visual and additional impairments since 1981. This organization's goal is to provide an empowering environment where persons with visual impairments can reach their full potential. And this uniquely woven cane wine basket is just one of their proud examples of their unimaginable abilities. So if you want to know more about their work, visit www.innovationfortheblind.org on how this special group of people is so close to the hearts of those at Devetsov. So cheers to the innovation of the blind. Cheers to Shannon Blanc. Cheers to Dolly Parton. Cheers to the Duchess and the Duke of Sussex. May they heal in this difficult time. I can't imagine that pain. Um, but our hearts are with them. And I want to thank you once again for being so tender with me and for always taking time to listen. And so I ask you, are you okay? Have a beautiful night. Thank you for listening. I love you so much.